Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Hi, my name is Claudia Clumpus, and I've been coming this late since September 2021. So I feel really blessed that I was born into um, a family with uh, my parents and my older siblings that really uh, exemplified just caring about others, uh, having an open home, hospitality, and, and just kindness and concern for others. There was just always people uh, coming and going in our home, and I just got to see firsthand uh, God's love through them being poured out to other people. So that really touched me and inspired me. I feel the Great Commission is its often kind of misunderstood to just be evangelism and sharing the gospel with the lost. but. You know, Jesus said, go make disciples. I've seen in my own life and our marriage and our family um, how God just does amazing miracles as you get to know Him and know His Word, how His truth um, just breaks down the lies and the strongholds of the evil one. I just feel so challenged by the need in this world, the brokenness and pain that I've seen around me and the difference that God makes in people's lives, the healing that comes when you know Jesus. One scripture that really has inspired me many for many years is in Isaiah 58. Um, and just God saying, um, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the Lord, the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help and you will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. So this scripture just really inspired me to um, just be available to God um, wherever he's opening doors, to just look out for where he's working and come alongside what he's inviting you into. I've usually felt unqualified to live out the Great Commission. I often feel um, intimidated or shy or um, like I don't have that much to offer. But I also see the incredible need and how blessed I've been to know the Lord and to see how much He's done in my family and my extended family. And I feel a great sense of urgency to share the gospel and share God's love with people because of their pain. And often I've seen that as you take a step forward in faith, the Holy Spirit comes through and He provides you with what you need. You just see God working and um, it's really exciting.
Morning, Slate Church. How you doing? Doing well? Okay. It's, uh, um, we had a hockey game last night as a Slate hockey team, and I only mention that when we win. So yes, we won last night, which is good, but uh, everybody was very tired. You could tell the effects of whatever chemicals in the turkey uh, definitely sat in, uh, in everybody. And uh, just feel that a little bit this morning. It's Thanksgiving weekend, and everybody's in that very chill zone, which is great. Um, but I hope that you're having a great uh, Thanksgiving weekend and um, uh, that you continue to have a great Thanksgiving weekend. And I'm really appreciative of all the different things that are happening in our church right now. Um, I know that we're, we've been hosting Thanksgiving dinners for students um, that are here from abroad, studying abroad, and uh, we've been hosting students for Thanksgiving dinners. Uh, this coming week on Saturday, we're hosting a Thanksgiving dinner for the community where uh, the building is. And uh, it's just a really good chance not only to be thankful for what God's done, but to be generous. And uh, I just think it's really cool what's happening in our church all across everything. And uh, if you haven't uh, ever been to Slate Church before, you don't know who I am. My name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Emma, who you just saw on, uh, on the stage. I was going to point at her, but um, she left. She's like, Brandon, speak. I'm just going to leave. I've already heard this before. <laughs> uh, that's not true. But uh, she's probably dealing with one of our four kids. We're the pastors here, and we're just so glad that you would join us. And we're actually in a series right now called No One Else is Coming. And uh, the title is a little misleading because, of course, I, there's other people that have been coming. Um, there's other people that have come to this, the, uh, the, the sermon series and all the rest. But we've entitled it this because there's a responsibility on every one of us to understand that nobody else is coming to do the things that God has called us to do. In fact, not only that, but nobody else is coming to save us from our plight except for Jesus. And nobody's here to comfort us like Jesus. And this has been the series and this idea to be encouraged that, hey, God has set up our lives in this world in such a beautiful way that we can actually live um, with expectation of what he's going to do, but also with expectation that he wants to use us even in the midst of our brokenness. And so this morning we're going to um, finish off the series. Next week we have a, uh, a guest speaker coming, which is going to be really exciting, somebody who's on our overseer board, um, but also just somebody that's uh, been a, a big part of what we've done, uh, we've been doing as a church. Actually, it's also Nathan Lambert's brother. So Jonathan Lambert's going to be with us next week. He's going to be speaking, which I'm really excited about, and uh, that's going to conclude this series. But for this final um, week of No One Else Is Coming, I want to speak on this idea of my spirit, my responsibility. And, uh, you know, in church, we don't like using the words my and I and me and singular because we recognize that this is very much something that we do together and that we're supposed to serve others. And uh, the gospel is not just a me gospel or an I gospel. The gospel is not a consumeristic kind of material that we just purchase or add to our lives and categorize and file away in some compartmentalized place in our life. But it's actually meant something to be lived out together and to be lived out intentionally. But when it comes to our souls and our spirit and the thing that, things that God's doing inside of us, the reality of that situation is that nobody else is responsible for that in this room or in our church or in this world except for you. No one else is coming to take, take care of your soul in the way that you're meant to bring it and surrender it before God. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to go through the life of Peter. And before we get there, why don't we just say a prayer? God, we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful for the examples of those that have come before us. God, we're thankful that you would, um, that you would come 
and pay a price on that cross that we could be brought into relationship with you, back into relationship with you. God, this morning as we sit here and we contemplate all that you've done and we've sung about what you've done, and for some of us, we're, we're, we're here and we're expectant, and some of us, we're just going through the emotions, and this is just what we do on Sundays. God, I pray that your spirit would break through all of that. God, speak to us in such a deep and intimate way. God, may we understand and know the voice of our Father this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago that I love uh, startup stories. I love stories on uh, how businesses have started. I love um, looking into them. I love listening to podcasts on the ways that companies have started. And my favorite podcast, it's the one that I've stuck with over the last um, number of years is How I Built This with Guy Raz. Does anybody, does anybody other than David listen to this podcast? Okay. Has anybody picked it up since I've told you to listen to it? No. Okay. Well, hopefully you're putting into practice the other things I'm talking about um, at a greater rate than you're putting. The, it is the best podcast out there. It is so interesting. And that's so subjective of me to say. It, it might not be the best one for you, but it's fascinating because you get to track with, all of the, track with all of these different stories about how startups have started and how they got their starts and founders. They'll tell about the early days and some of the struggles and the amount of people that um, put their entire startup on credit cards to start and all the bad decisions that they made along the way and the failures that they had as leaders and all the rest. And one of the reasons that I love startup stories is because often we're revisiting stories, the early stages of stories, that gave us a glimpse into these very successful companies, companies that we would now look at and go, wow, they're doing a great, great thing. Looking back at the early days, we start to realize that, hey, these guys and these women are not so different than so many of the other people in this room and people that have ideas and people that want to step into great things or have a great idea on their mind and whatever else. It's just they stuck with it. And it's kind of funny because when I approached this podcast, how I built this, something really interesting that happens. And the interesting thing that happens is that I'll scroll by companies that I'm like, oh, I don't really, I, I don't know, they're not that big and whatever else. And I'll just want to hit on like the big companies. Like I want to listen to how Amazon started. I want to listen to how Apple started. I want to, and as I took a step back, I'm like, what, like, who am I to like kind of disregard these companies that were only able to scale to like 50 million? You know what I mean? I'm like sitting, I'm so pompous as I'm like scrolling through and I'm like, yeah, uh, I don't know. And you start listening to some of these and they're like founders that started these companies that are now $100 million companies. And you're like, I'm sitting here like many people do while they're watching the Jays game yesterday and thinking I could do a better job. I'm just going to listen to that. And it's just like, what is going on? These people are at the peak of what they're doing. I not only love listening to startup stories on how I built this, but I also love sitting with entrepreneurs even in our church hearing about how they've gotten things started and how they, they're doing things. I love listening to Kaelin Senfuma. Kaelin Senfuma is another person in our local. Uh, her and her husband, Joseph, are part of our church. They've got two beautiful kids. And I love listening to them because they just think differently. Um, the, the other week, and they wouldn't want me saying things like this, but if you see them drive into the parking lot, you're going to see it anyway. But uh, they bought a Tesla, and I'm like, wow, like you guys must be doing well for yourself, as if that's like the pinnacle of doing well. But... Um, they're like, yeah, actually, like, I'm not sure we can't afford it, but we're buying it and then we're renting it out. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, we're just going to buy it. We're going to put it on Turo and we're going to pay it off that way. And I'm like, like people, like entrepreneurs just think differently. And of course, Kalen has bought this 
Tesla and has rented it out. I think in the first three days she had it, she made like $750 on it. And I'm like, this is just a way to think differently about the world that we live in. I think of somebody like Ashley Weber, who has a great marketing agency and all the different things that she does to bring people on and lead her company and how she's approaching mat leave is she probably has had a baby even as we're speaking right now. And all of these different things. And I love to hear these startup stories because they're stories of people that believe in something and they give their all to it and they do incredible things in the midst of it. See, when it comes to the church, I'm obsessed with understanding how the early church began because I want to know what happened that allowed 11 people to turn into the um, over 2 billion people that call Jesus Lord and Savior. I want to, it's, it's literally the greatest startup that's ever happened on planet Earth. I mean, it's a different type of a startup. I, don't, I think that's probably a crass way to put it. I don't, I don't know if that's even like a, a God-honoring way to put it, but it is the most fascinating startup. It's the most fascinating thing that began from what seemingly was nothing and has grown into one of the greatest movements that the world has ever seen. In fact, the greatest movement the world has ever, ever seen. You think of some of the resources that, that the church has put out, the Bible, <laughs> the greatest selling uh, book in, in, in the history of existence. I want to know, okay, what happened? Because I want to be a part of building God's church alongside Christ as he builds his I want to be a laborer as he builds his church. What happened that turned 11 people into the catalyst that would go on to see the billions that now call Christ Lord and Savior? I want to take a look at the life of Peter. I like Peter because Peter reminds me a little bit of myself. Peter is this guy that, um, he's one of Jesus' disciples. If you're not familiar with him, he's one of the first people that Jesus calls him and his brother Andrew as they're fishing with their father. And I'm fascinated by uh, Peter as a disciple because by the end of Peter's life, Jesus is saying things to Peter like, Peter, upon your confession, I'm going to build my church. Peter, uh, I'm going to use you to, to do great things. But when you actually look at the life of Peter, it's a little astounding that God would choose to use him at all. In fact, if we just think of some of the scandals that have hit the church in the West over the last year, you could probably put Peter in the list of people that would have been canceled in the year 2022 because of some of the things he did. We don't have any record of Peter sleeping with anybody that's not their spouse, so he doesn't hit that kind of scandal. But Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. And yet this is the same guy that the night that Jesus is being crucified cuts off somebody's ear and God still goes, I'm still going to use you. And I want to know, what, it is, what is it about Peter's life that Jesus goes, hey, but, but, but in spite of all that, what, what, what's happening in your life is something that I want to build on. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of chop this up a little different. I don't have a main text. I just have a bunch of different texts that I want to read from. But the first thing I want to talk about when it comes to Peter's life is this, is that Peter was used by God because he had a committed and surrendered response to the call of God. Okay, so... The reason we're looking at Peter's life again, just, be, just so that we all understand why it impacts our lives in such a deep way. If we're sitting here today and we want to be used by God to reach the world that we live in, if we want to be used by God to fulfill the call he's placed on our lives, if we want to be a part of what God's doing now and not just in the previous 2,000 years, if we want to be a part of what God wants to do right now in Waterloo Region, we need to pay attention to people like Peter's lives so that we can understand what we need to be doing in our lives to be open to, to God using us as well as just being available to God using us. And the first thing is this. A, Peter had a committed and surrendered response 
to the call of God. We read that as Jesus called Peter and his brother Andrew, that there was an immediate response from them both in, in, with regards to what Jesus was saying. In Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 20, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. At once, they left their nets and followed him. A committed and a surrendered response to the call of God. And we're a really fascinating um, group of people as humans. Like we're, we're, we're fascinating in the sense that we can become really impassioned about one thing in one moment. And the very next moment, we can immediately forget what we were passionate about just a few seconds earlier. And what I mean by this is I caught myself in a conversation in the evening service a few weeks ago. And usually I'm the one like riling people up to do new things, to try new things. As I mentioned, like even though I've never played pickleball, if you talk to me, I'm going to convince you that pickleball should be your sport. Just because when I get passionate about things, I get everybody else passionate about these things. And I found myself in a peculiar situation one evening service a few weeks ago because I was in a conversation with a bunch of people that, uh, that attend our evening service, and I was on the receiving end of being caught up in their passions. And so now it wasn't me trying to convince somebody else to do something. There was a group of people trying to convince me to do something. And the thing that they were trying to convince me to do is to run an Ironman next year. Conversation started something like, yeah, I've started running. And they're like, oh, that's great. And it immediately started to turn into, well, you should run an Ironman with us next year. And I'm like, not going to happen. And they're like, well, come on. You know, by the end of this conversation, not only had I committed to the Ironman, I had convinced at least four other people to join us in running an Ironman next year. Now, I think it's a half Ironman. I'll, I'll, I'll put that out there just because in case it doesn't happen, it's like half the failure that it could have been. But anyway, um, I find myself like in this conversation and I got home and I'm like, Emma, like, do you mind if I go to Huntsville on this date next year? And she's like, why? Uh, and she's like, if you're going to Huntsville, I'm coming with you. I'm like, I don't know if you're going to want to. And she's like, why do you want to go there? And I was like, well, I'm going to be running a, a half Ironman. And she's like, oh, really? You've never done a triathlon. In fact, you were going to do one this year and you didn't do it. And she's like, who told you to do this? And I'm like, I listed off some of the names. And she's like, Brandon, do you realize that these people are like 10 years younger than you? Like, like you're not as young as you once were. And all of a sudden, I found myself going like, you're right. Like, that date might not work. It's a Sunday. I started like backpedaling. I'm like, they are 10 years younger than me. You're right. I haven't even done a triathlon yet. It's like within a four-hour time period, I went from like dedicating four hours every day from now until next June to running a half Ironman to like, I don't know, like maybe like in a few years, you know? And that's the interesting thing is because I can tell you that in the midst of this, this moment for myself at the end of this evening service, like I was... I was in it, and honestly, like, half of me is still in it. I've got one foot in and one foot out. I'm like, I, don't tell anybody that's planning on doing it because they're not here in this service that I'm, I'm waffling because they'll be upset with me. Um, but not only was I passionate about it, literally, I, like, drew people in. I'm like, you're going to run a half Ironman with us. And they're like, I've never thought of doing this. I'm like, have you ever run before? They're like, yes. I'm like, you're a prime candidate. Let's do it next year. I had four other people convinced, and me, myself, I get home, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. See, 
I think that it's okay for us to play with some of these things in life that are somewhat inconsequential. At the end of the day, nobody's going to die because I didn't run an Ironman next year. At the end of the day, these guys are still going to be a part of our church, whether I run this Ironman with them or not. The, the, the decision to either do an Ironman or not do an Ironman is not impacting anybody's salvation. It's not impacting anybody's future trajectory. It's not impacting my family, except for the fact that they'll have to sacrifice a lot of time if I do do it, and all the rest. But when it comes to our faith and the way in which we interact with walking with God, the reality is, is that it does impact other things. It's not as inconsequential as whether or not I'm going to run a race. It's not as inconsequential as whether or not um, I'm going to think about it and spend some time planning a weekend next year or putting it. It's not inconsequential. In fact, it's one of the most consequential decisions that we can make. See, Jesus, um, we have reason to believe that, that Peter and Andrew were not the only people that Jesus was calling to follow him during this time. In fact, we come across other stories within scripture where Jesus is calling people to follow them and we hear a bunch of excuses at one point in the book of Matthew where they're saying, listen, I, I would love to, but let me take care of business at home. Hey, hey I, I wanna follow you. Let me just quickly go and bury my father and then I'll come. And Jesus has some harsh words to say about these people that are somewhat um, uh, un uncommitted to the gospel and the column which he's placed on their lives. In fact, he says, listen, he says, let the dead go bury their own dead. And during that moment, we read this, and, and again, this is one of those things that if I just hand a Bible to one of my friends, they might go like, what? Why is Jesus so harsh and mean in this moment? Like, like the guy's father has died. Why can't he go bury his father? And yet Jesus was speaking to something that lay beneath the surface, something that lays beneath the surface, even here this morning with many of us that are sitting and listening to these words right now, and it's that they were only half committed to what Jesus was doing. It wasn't that Jesus didn't want somebody to go bury their dead father. It was that he recognized that these individuals had every excuse under the sun not to commit to the thing that they were saying they committed to. The question this morning for all of us is, are we saying one thing with our mouths and doing another thing with our lives? It's the very definition of hypocrisy, but it's the very definition of being uncommitted. What we see is that Peter and Andrew at once left their nets and followed him. And if that was all that was required, we might say, hey, we can all be on board. There, there's many of us that at one point or another said we are going to follow Jesus. But what we see out of Peter is that in the highs and the lows in his life, not only was he committed to leaving and following Jesus, he was committed to following Jesus even when things hit the fan, even when things were crumbling all around him, even when the leader that called him to follow him was crucified on a cross. Peter showed up time and time again with the grace of God to follow Jesus. He was committed and surrendered to the call of God on his life. So I wonder today if there's some of us in the room that we've surrendered to the call to follow Jesus, to, to respond to what Jesus has done. But I wonder if we're still lacking some commitment to the call that he has on our lives post the decision to follow him. You see that Reformation was a really fascinating time in church history. The Reformation was a time where the Catholic Church had been kind of in power for 1,500 years and I don't have any current commentary on the Catholic Church. I'm just commentating on, on history. I don't have time to get into the current realities of Protestantism and Catholicism. But what we see in the Great Reformation is that um, the Catholic Church, there's a split, and all of a sudden the Great Reformation happened, and all of a sudden there was a newly established 
um, ref- uh, church that, that, that was not, not Reformed, but it was, it was a church that resulted from the Reformation. It was a Protestant church. And in the midst of the Reformation happening, there was a couple of voices that raised to the surface. We got people like Martin Luther and, and, uh, and John Calvin. And these guys, they wrote a lot of different things. And what they were trying to parse out is what salvation meant from a biblical perspective. And one of the things that they fought for over and over again as they began to explain how salvation actually worked is that salvation was not something that we earned, but was something that we were given by Jesus Christ. And so they would hammer this point home over and over again to the point where they, they themselves experienced a lot of backlash and, and abuse and all the rest because of these views that it wasn't based on anything that they did. It wasn't based on works, but it was based on what Jesus did that we were saved. But over and over again, they were confronted with this idea that if it was just based on what Jesus did and it resulted in no change in the actual life of the believer, then could they actually be Christians? Because Jesus said, those who believe and put into practice my words are those who are saved. And so over and over again, they had to wrestle with this theological idea that if Jesus is the one that's doing the saving, can we just go and live whatever type of lives that we can and what the, ref, re, the reformers began to, to teach, and, and something that we hold fast to here 500 years later, and we sometimes take for granted, is that while justification is something that Jesus takes care of, it's the sanctification process that gives light and, and, and evidence to the fact that Jesus has saved us. Which is to say this, justification is being made right with God, sanctification is being made like God, like Jesus, and what it, what it means is that we're growing into our Christ-likeness. And what the reformers spent their entire lives doing was showing that while Jesus does all of the work to save us from our sins and bring us back into relationship with God, it's the life we live after he saved us that gives us evidence that Jesus has actually saved us. Does this make sense? And what we see out of the life of Peter is that it's not just that he was committed and surrendered to the call to follow Jesus in that moment. Peter not only left his nets that day, but he left everything behind him that would hinder him being a part of building what God was up to here on planet Earth. And here's the great news, is that Jesus is still up to something in Waterloo Region in the year 2022. Jesus is still up to something, for those that are watching online, in Ontario in the, in the year 2022. And the call to follow Jesus, many of us may have responded to that, but are we responding to the continual call of God to go out and make disciples and be a part of what he's up to on the face of this earth? Are we simply okay knowing that Jesus has paid the price and we go on living as if, though, as if he didn't? And so what we see out of Peter is not only did he live a life that was committed and surrendered to the initial call for salvation or to follow Jesus in that moment, we see a man that was committed and surrendered to the life that God had called him to. Are you submitted and and surrendered, committed and surrendered to the life that God has called you to this morning? Okay, that's the first point. Um, Hopefully you're taking notes, or at least you're, you're, you're filing away in your minds something that stands out here today, because I really believe that as we continue to track with the life of Peter, that we can see, uh, that we can, we, we can begin to see the transformational effect that can take place in us, and therefore, not only in our church, but the world that we live in. Secondly, something that we see in the life of Peter is a desire to be found in the presence of God. A desire to be found in the presence of God. If I'm just being honest, over the last little while, this is something that I've struggled with. It's something that I, I've put on the back burner at times when life has become busy. 
And yet what we see out of the life of Peter and out of all of the disciples that chose to follow God is that there was no hope that they would make it through the persecution that, they, that was all around them or the different ideals or perspectives that existed in the ancient Near East if they didn't find themselves in the presence of God. We see in this one miraculous moment where uh, Jesus takes Peter, uh, James, and John up on a mountainside, and, and before them, all of a sudden, these um, great men of old come to meet Jesus on the mountaintop, these, these somewhat like resurrected beings, and they're trying to figure it out, and it's called the Transfiguration for those of us that haven't read it. And while they're up there, it says that after, sorry, while, while they're up there, it said that just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the three disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. One of the characteristics that we see in Peter's life over and over again throughout the Gospels and through the, the life of that, the, the life the different moments in Peter's life that are recorded throughout the Gospels, is that Peter was completely content to be in the presence of God. Like, Peter gets a bad rap for all of the different things that he did, and Peter messed up a lot. And again, that's one of the reasons that I love Peter so much, is that he messes up, but then he's forgiven, and he, and he reorients himself, and he continues to follow Jesus in all of the different things that he's called him, called him to. But one of the things that I love about this story is, is I think we can look at this and go like, Peter, you done it again. Like you, you, you said, let's just stay up here in the mountain. It's clearly not what Jesus wanted. And all of a sudden he does it. One of the peculiar, peculiar things about this passage is that Jesus doesn't even respond to his response. It's like God cuts him off in the middle of his, his question. Like, hey, could I set up tents? And God's like, all right, here's what's actually happening. Doesn't even respond to Peter. But what we see in Peter's life in the midst of this is that Peter's desire was to stay in the presence of God. This is reminiscent of Joshua who just wanted to stay in the tent of meeting while Moses would go and instruct the Israelites. His young aide would just stay in the presence of God and it was rewarded and Joshua was rewarded with leading the Israelites. Similarly, Peter's desire to stay in the presence of God was, was, was in many ways rewarded by being the head of the church and the one that would lead the church forward after Jesus was crucified. See, Peter, over and over again, wanted to spend time in the presence of God, but one of the things that is exemplified within the story of the transfiguration is that God isn't meaning for us. Jesus doesn't desire for us to just stay up on the mountaintop, but he desires for us to come down with him and, 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 and interact and, and reach those that, with Jesus that he's trying to reach. You see, even for moments like this morning and moments that we have in God's presence, and, and for some of us, we have a prayer closet, that, that, that old phrase of a place that we go and we, we shut ourselves in with God and we pray to him. And for some of us, we, that's, the, that's the most comforting place that we have with God, and yet it's not the place that we were meant to stay. You know, in many ways, what we see is that, yes, Peter wanted to stay up on the mountain. He wanted to camp out in what God was doing in that moment. But part of God's response was, Peter, you got to come down the mountain. And not just come down the mountain, but you have to come down the mountain with me. 
And for those of us that are so blessed by church and so blessed by our worship song in our car and so blessed by a podcast and so blessed by a time of prayer and so blessed by a word of encouragement from a brother or sister in the faith, what we have to understand is that while those moments might be moments we want to park in and we want to camp in and, and stay in because isn't that just a holy place? What we're being called to, similar to Peter, is not to just set up tents and camp in places that are special to us, but we're meant to walk with the presence of Jesus amongst the people that he has called us to reach. It's not enough to just stay in holy moments. We need to take those holy moments with us. Are we taking the presence of God with us into all of the different interactions that we can have in our lives around us? Do we have our eyes open to what God wants to do while we're standing in the line at Tim Hortons? And I understand there's a lot of people that are just too, uh, uh, too, too much coffee snobs for Tim Hortons. So put, put in Smile Tiger, okay? Certainly God knows that that, that place needs Jesus. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's like, what do you have against Smile Tiger? Nothing. Nothing. It's just so expensive. You go in there and you're like, I guess I'm not paying for my car this week, you know? Are, are we open to what God wants to do in the places all around? Are we, are we praying uh, for our families and the interactions that we're going to have with our family members over Thanksgiving um, uh, th- this current weekend. You know, I was, um, on Friday, I was actually performing the funeral for my aunt um, who passed away this past week, and she lived a very rough life, and um, it's really, it was really an, an interesting time for us as a family because there were so many conflicting emotions. My aunt was, uh, had unfortunately struggled with alcoholism her entire life, and uh, was at odds with a lot of her siblings and even her children. And, and so it was a really kind of nuanced time uh, for my family. And I got up there, and I'm just trying to not come across as like the squeaky clean pastor that knows better or whatever else. Like speaking to your family in the midst of uh, the death of one of your family members is a really tricky thing to do. And I'm just, I'm just there and honestly just so nervous and, and feeling like, what do I have to offer to these people that they haven't already heard before? Yeah, it's in these moments, these moments that we just think like, God, what could I possibly do to impact these people? And it's, the, it's in those moments we need the presence of God the most. Like it's in the moments where we can't understand what step to take next. It's in the moments where, where, where we're so stressed out and we don't know how to respond properly. It's, it's in the moments where we feel like, like there's nothing that we could do to turn this. In. Those are the moments that we need to find ourselves in the presence of God. Peter was one who, des- who's, who's one, of, uh, one of his singular desires was to be found in the presence of Jesus. And I wonder for us today, is that, what, is, is that what's driving us in the morning? Is that the thing that we're most looking forward to when we wake up? I remember um, saying to Emma one time, I'm like, one of the things that I look forward to the most is, is having that cup of coffee in the morning. Is anybody else there? You're just like, when you're going to bed, you're already looking forward to that first cup of coffee. <laughs> And it's like a real thing. For those that aren't coffee drinkers, I understand this, this analogy like eludes you. It kind of goes over your head. That's fine. But this is something that, that like legitimately when I'll go to bed at night, I'll be thinking about the coffee the next morning. I'm like, I can take on the next day. Here we go. Matthias Klonfus told me I was no longer allowed to drink caffeine. And I could tell you I wanted to kick him out of our church in that moment. And I haven't been drinking coffee for like two months. But I can still taste the early morning coffee. I just wonder, though, like, what would happen in our lives if we yearned for Jesus in that same way? Like, like what if it was, rather than, than waking up in the morning and, and, and excited to, 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 to get that coffee or have the first dopamine hit 
of a scroll on Instagram or to quickly make sure that we, we, we post our be real in the first two minutes so we're not late. What would it look like to be as excited to wake up with the presence of God and pray over the different aspects of it? What would it look like if we invited Jesus into every area of our life and not just into the prayer closet, but into the workplace, into our family Thanksgiving, into those moments where you'd rather not think about Jesus because it might bring up a problem? What would it look like if we, were, we, we desired to be in the presence of God at all times? Uh-oh. My notes went away. That's always scary when you look down at your screen and they're nowhere to be found. I'm like, where, where are they? I just want to share um, two more quick things with us out of Peter's life. And the next thing that I want to share with us is that one of the reasons that we see Jesus using Peter so passionately, or using Peter, is because there was an exchange of passions in Peter's life. You see, when Jesus met Peter, he was what would be classified as a zealot. Now, I went over the different types of views of what the Messiah might look like, the one that was going to come into the world and save the world, the Messiah. Um, there's, there was a whole bunch of different views in the ancient Near East on what that would look like. The Essenes had a different view. The Sadducees had a different view. The Pharisees had a different view, and so did the Zealots. And the Zealots were these people that were, like, really just, like, kind of angry with what had happened. They were, their desire was that they would actually find, find, find themselves meeting the Messiah as he came in and struck down the oppressors around them with a sword riding in on a horse. And this was their picture of what the Messiah was going to do. Peter, um, Peter was a part of the zealot crew. Like, he, he was a zealot. Peter, Peter had this, this desire that, that what would happen for the Messiah is that he would cut down all of those who oppressed him, uh, oppressed him and oppressed his family and oppressed the, the Jewish people. It, sounded, it almost sounds like a, a, an episode from Yellowstone. Like he just like wanted to take out everybody who was against the thing that he was standing for, everything that he found valuable. And it's really interesting because I think sometimes we, we find ourselves disqualifying ourselves because of some of our passions and some of the things that God, from what God wants to do in our lives. And what we often find within those that Jesus has called is, is that God won't always remove the characteristics or the personality traits that we have when we come to meet Jesus, but he'll often reform them in, in such a way that he'll be able to use them to actually, actually reach people for his name. And what we see with, with Peter is, you know, the cutting off of this guy's ear or, or Peter jumping out of the boat to walk on water or um, Peter uh, getting angry with that servant girl at the fire as Jesus is being crucified and all the rest is that all of these are outbursts that are, that are quite natural to Peter. Like the, these outbursts are, are part of his personality and that Jesus over and over again is correcting Peter in such a way that will, will reform his passions into things that can be used by him. You know, Peter's passions were reformed, but not only that, but Peter experienced the security to fail in the presence of Jesus. Over and over again, Peter would fail, and yet Jesus wouldn't rebuke him or send him out or say, you couldn't be my disciple. But rather than doing all that, what Jesus would do is he would correct Peter, get him back on the right track, and send him out into all that he has had for him. And I think today, like, one of the things that we have to take recognition of is that when Jesus is trying to use us to reach our friends and our family and all the rest, he's not trying to change you as much as he's trying to reform you into the ways that he has for you. 
Like for some of us, we, we go like, man, I just, I'm too much of a people pleaser to be used by God because like, like I just fear what people think about me if I even bring up the topic of Jesus and Christianity and, and salvation and like, ah, I just don't wanna be disliked by people. But here's the thing, Jesus can use that same kind of personality trait in, much, in a much better way as we submit to him and we allow him to wash over our lives. And what I mean by this is that caring about what people think is the good part of that. <laughs> Like we should care about the people around us, but not to the point where we, we are inoperable in our lives or it stops us from doing the things that God has called us to. But you know what Jesus can use is a care that we, we, we love people so much that we can't help but sharing the gospel. For some of us, we look at the world that we live in, and we see some of the things happening in the school system, or we see things that are happening abroad, or we see things that are whatever it is, and we, we get so angered by it, and in the midst of that moment, we can go like, man, like my anger just keeps it. And I just wonder what would happen if, if God gave you a new passion to be upset about. Like, I, wonder if, I wonder if we could get more upset about the lives that, that don't know Jesus and the salvation that hasn't happened and sometimes these petty issues that consume our minds. I wonder if we allowed Jesus to reform our passions and to recognize that there's permission to fail in his presence. See, sometimes I think even as I'm speaking and I look at a life like Peter and I look at the life that we've been called to, a, a, a high calling, a committed and surrendered life, this desire to be found in the presence of God, this, this, this ability to have our passions reformed. And, and as I'm speaking this message, as I'm thinking about Peter's life and, and I think about, as all of us are hearing these words, like the temptation for all of us is just to think, man, I just, I just can't seem to live up to what God's called me to. Or I did this this past week, or I said this to that person, or I, I, I lied about this, or I tried to make myself look better here and I wasn't honest. And, and all of these things we can look at and sometimes think these are disqualifying factors for God using me in this world and the call that he's called me to. I wanna, wanna let you know is that on the contrary, these are things that God wants to work with. That's similar to Peter, that there is a permission to fail in God's presence, but then we have to allow Jesus to pick us back up and set us off in a better direction. Our entire faith system is built on the idea that Jesus paid it all. And that there's nothing we can do to be received any more by him than surrendering to him in his presence. Our entire faith system is based on the idea that no matter how much we try to be accepted by God, there's nothing we can do to be accepted by him. And our faith system is also built on the idea that once we allow Jesus to save us, he wants to mold us into the people that he's called us to be. And he understands that we're gonna fail. And then he calls us to a higher standard time and time again. And each time we fall over, we fall on our faces, he's right there to pick us back up and point us back in the right direction. Can we stand up in this place? opportunity for those of us in the room that have maybe never made a decision to follow Jesus. And I've said it over and over again in this message, but the gospel is that Jesus came fully God, fully man, paid a price for our sin that we cannot pay for ourselves. 
And that all we have to do is receive what he's done for us. Allow that to become our greatest reality. Allow that to be the truth that we're living in. Accept what Jesus did for us. We actually get to be a part of the family of God. The sign that that decision has taken root is that our lives will change. But salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. So with every head bowed and eye closed in this place, I just want to give an opportunity, a moment. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to that call. If you're here today and you're going, hey, I, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus today. Can you include me in this prayer here? I'm not going to point anybody out, but I just want to know who it is. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you today, you're going, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Can you just raise a hand in this moment just so I know who to include in a prayer? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for anyone making that decision to follow you here today, that God, they would find themselves in your presence as they walk out of this place. That God, your Holy Spirit would equip them to walk into this world that you've called us to operate in with confidence and boldness and with the, and, and with the security of heart that we are part of the family of God. We thank you for what Jesus did. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on that cross. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. I just want to pray once more, and you know, we don't need the whole band to come up, but why don't you lead us in worship coming out of this uh, out of this prayer? Um, I just want to pray for, for us as we're listening to this. And you know, this whole series about the, is, is about the idea that no one else is coming to save us and empower us like Jesus, like God, like the Holy Spirit. But on the other side of that, nobody else is coming to do the work. Um, that God has called us to. And uh, I don't have any specific, I didn't write down a specific prayer for the end of this, but I like to take a moment to just allow the truths of this to wash over us. And if you just want to be included in a prayer here at the end of the service, and you're just going, man, like something over this series has touched me, and I don't want to forget about that. Um, can we just raise a hand as we begin to pray, as we go back into worship? Jesus, I thank you for... Um, our church, and I thank you for what you're up to, and God, I thank you for the reminders, the continual reminders all throughout Scripture of what it looks like to follow you. God, we look at Peter's life, and this was a man who was not perfect, but it was a man that you used and somebody that you um, called to higher standards over and over again, and somebody that you empowered by both your presence while you walked with him here on earth, as well as your Spirit's presence as you gave him your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for us as we um, go out of this place. Like, God, you would put a burning desire in us to be used by you. God, I pray that there would just be a change of habit in this place where, God, when we wake up in the morning, the first thing that we're looking forward to is spending time with you and not the variety of other things that beg and call for our attention. God, I pray that you would raise up in our church a church that is passionate about the right things, a church that is willing to fail in the direction of where you're calling us to, that, that is willing to, to mess up, but be, to, to, to be held up by our Heavenly Father. And so God, as we go to this place, we just thank you for all that you're up to. We thank you for this Thanksgiving. We thank you for all that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody say, come on, church, let's worship. every name. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.